Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. We're actually going to be looking. We're going to pick it up from where we left off on Sunday from the triumphal entry. And so we're actually going to go through the week, which is Passion Week. And so there's there are things that happen on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, all the way leading up to the crucifixion on Friday, uh, for Good Friday. And so just remember, as we dive into these events, the, the Jewish calendar is different than uh, our calendar. They start their day at 6 p.m. So uh, as we get into this, uh, I just hope that we'll be reading a lot of scripture tonight. And so hopefully it'll help you. So that way, if you're trying to explain somebody what was happening during the last week of Jesus's life, you'd be able to explain that, talk about it, uh, share it. And so that's really what we're doing tonight. So I I gave y'all Mark chapter 9, verse 30 and 32 last week on Sunday that says that we went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, the man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand, saying they were afraid to ask him now we get more information as we we look at the book of luke in luke chapter 19 verses 41 and uh and uh, 42 it says and when we drew near and saw the city he wept over it so this is after he comes through the triumphal entry all right so in, in luke chapter 19 right after he gets done with the triumphal entry remember he's he leaves the the temple and it says in, in Luke 19, 41, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, What they would even had known on this day, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from their eyes. And so it's a, it's a conditional statement. It goes back to the book of Daniel, which we talked about in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. Jesus is coming, and they should have known. They should have known. It was in the prophecy. It was in the book of Daniel and they missed it this is also when Jesus curses the fig tree right he curses the fig tree and you're like why did he curse the fig tree well the fig tree beautiful had leaves producing fruit but it wasn't doing that and and it, it's a picture of Israel when it when he looks at that fig tree it looks good, but there's nothing, you know, that, that brings fruit. And then the next day when they come to that tree, what happens? That tree is dead to the root. It's rotted. And that's a picture of what's going to happen to Israel. So when Jesus weeps over the city, he's weeping because they missed it. They missed it. It was in the book of Daniel, and they missed it. And he knows what's going to happen to Jerusalem. And he weeps. 
In verse, uh, in verse 43 in, in Luke 19, it says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another uh, in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And remember, you have two to three million people that are screaming out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And you have the humble king who's weeping over Jerusalem. And they're missing this. It's one of the greatest tragedies in, in our history is because they miss the Messiah. They missed it. And he was weeping over the city. And we know that, that Jerusalem eventually is, is decimated by the Roman Empire in A.D. 70. Just as Jesus said. There was a pastor in Chicago that was looking out of his window and he started weeping over the inner city tragedies that had been happening. And one of the other pastors came up to him and said, don't worry, after a while, you'll just get used to it. And the pastor responded, I know, that's why I'm crying. We can't sit around watching and waiting for something to happen that, that we're called to do. Uh, it's one of those things like, for me, it's like when I, when I think about what the call is here for, for our area, for, for Divine and Natalia and Lytle, what is the call that God has on our lives for this area, for this county, for this community? See, we can't give up. That's what that pastor was doing. He's like, hey, you'll just get used to it. You shouldn't. Your heart should break the way that, that Christ's heart breaks. Now on Monday, as we, as we look at Monday, they begin to, to cleanse the temple. This is when Jesus goes in, and the, the reason why he's going in and cleansing the temple, now remember, this is the second time that he's done this. He's done this before. And, and they were charging up to 20 times more the expense. So you would pay on the outside for a turtle dove or a pair of doves, uh, four pieces of, of, uh, of silver. But in, in the temple, you would pay 20 times the amount. You'd pay more than 20 times the amount. And that's what Jesus was upset about because they had, they had turned the temple into a marketplace. And because they had turned the temple into a marketplace, the Gentiles couldn't even go in to worship in that area. They weren't allowed because of the market. So they kept people from coming to worship. In Luke chapter 19, verses 45, it says, And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of, of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything that they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. I read that scripture this week and I thought to myself, there's two things that stood out to me. Is, is when you look at the scripture, this is the, he's done this before. Meaning that we have stuff that happens in our life that Jesus has tried to cleanse and you allow back into your life again. And guess what? Jesus is going to come back in and cleanse it again. He's not going to allow it to stay there. 
It's like he cleansed the temple. He had righteous anger. I always say, all of us think we have righteous anger. We don't. Because eventually that anger is going to turn into wrath. We don't have that type of control like Jesus did. And, and you go, well, why was he doing this? It, it goes back to the Word of God. It goes back to the book of Isaiah. It said this was going to happen. And we also know in Nehemiah, Nehemiah was dealing with the same thing. Nehemiah had, had left and then comes back to, uh, to Jerusalem, and, and he finds out that they, they started marrying, intermarrying again. And not only intermarrying, the children had forgotten the language. They couldn't speak Hebrew anymore. And it only took like seven years for this to happen. And they went right back to the sin because there's this wonderful picture of them opening God's Word with Ezra. And they confess their sins and they, they turn from their sins. And what do they do? They go right back to the same stuff again. And he, I, I, love, I love him because Nehemiah points them right back to the Word of God and Nehemiah 13, 26, he said, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? They did, he did the same thing. You should learn from that. Yet among many nations, there, were, uh, there was no king like him who was beloved of, of his God, and God made him a king over Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused him to sin. Should we hear of your doing all the great evil transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of his sons of uh, Jehoadan, the son of El Elishib, uh, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore, I drove him from me. And what he's talking about, he's like, even the priest had intermarried. The priest, the Levite, he's not supposed to do that. And so again, what, what, what Jesus is doing as he comes into the temple, it's like it's the same thing he needs to do with us as we should be moving towards holiness. It's, 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 it's grace-driven. And it's a godliness, a prayer of obedience to Scripture, of faith, and we delight in the Word of God. But what happens is we drift the same way that Jesus is going back in the temple, we drift. We allow compromise, and we call it tolerance. Right? We drift from disobedience, and we call it what? Freedom. We drift towards superstition, and we do what? We call it faith. We cherish the undiscipline of, of lost self-control, and, and we call it relaxation. We start... And stop praying and we delude ourselves thinking we can escape legalism and we slide right into godlessness. And we convince ourselves that we're liberated as Christians. And this is what progressive Christianity is. All of those things. I don't know what Teresa was flipping through the channels the other day and CMT Music Awards were on and they were... Almost like a we are the world thing that w they were singing. And they were singing about whatever you believe in, whatever book you believe in, whatever you don't believe in, whatever God you believe in, or whatever God you don't believe in, we need to pray. I'm like, if you don't believe in God, who are you praying to? And this is Nashville. It used to never be like that. 
But that's what's happened is Nashville has become the base for progressive Christianity. And, and it's, unfortunately, it's pop music today. It's not the country I, I remember my granddaddy listening to. And it's sad because we see the, this, this godlessness and this, uh, this thought of I can just do what I need to do and just get away with it. And what happens is we begin to drift. And one of the things I love about that scripture is, is that Jesus draws us to what? His word. Because he says to them what? It is written. It is written. And in Isaiah 56, 7, it says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for all uh, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And yet they were keeping away the Gentiles from coming in and worshiping. So the first thing he does is he refers them back to the Word of God. Why? Because he is the Word of God. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I gave you this verse on Sunday in Revelation 19, 13. He is clothed and robed, dipped in, in blood, and the name by which He is called the Word of God. He points them back to the Word of God. It is written. And then what is the other thing he says? My house should be a house of prayer. That's what the church is supposed to be. And I've said it before, one of the least attended <laughs> uh, things that are attended in the church is when you have congregational prayer. And I was at, I'm not saying this church, we've been really blessed that people come on Wednesday to pray. I've been at, uh, my other church and, and it's been four of us to come together and pray and, and it's been neglected and it's not only been neglected by the church it's being neglected by the body of Christ the church is supposed to be seeking God through prayer I mean he takes time to pray Jesus does it multiple times in scripture where he goes to himself and he prays. Remember what he tells the, the disciples in Luke chapter 22, verses 24? And the dispute also ro arose among them as to which of them was regarded to be the greatest. Now they're arguing, one of the things that, that tripped me out about that is they're arguing about who's the greatest and then they're going to fall asleep when they're supposed to be praying with Jesus. See, everyone thinks they have a plan until you get punched in the face. That's what Mike Tyson said. Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. And what he means by that is you think you're stronger than you are. You get in the ring and you get with your opponent. And when that bell rings, the moment that you're punched in the face, face is when your faith is either real or not. And C.S. Lewis wrote this after his, his wife died. 
He says, when we find ourselves in these situations, what we find is that the temple that we thought was our faith is nothing more than a house of cards. That's why that, ver- that, that quote is so important. You know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. It's like everybody thinks they can do UFC until you get in the ring. And you get hit. And that's what life does. It hits. And so our, our, our life has to be, if we're going to be believers in Christ, that means we, we follow with all. It's everything. He told us to leave it all. To pick up the cross and, and die to ourselves. And, and one of the things that I, I, I pray is that, that we would be prayer warriors. That this would be a house of prayer. And you go, Mike, this is the BFW. It doesn't matter. Do you not think there are people that come in all these chairs to play bingo that need Jesus? That are in the bar that need Jesus? We need to be praying for them. And trust me, my dad lived in a bar. Always drinking. Until he got punched in the face. And he came to know God. He thought he was stronger than he was. In Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46, it says, And he came out and, and went out as, as accustomed to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to, to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Well, there's one reason you should be praying. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and praying, saying, Father, if, it, if you are willing Remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will be, not my will, but your will be, be done. And there he appeared to him, an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from the prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I can't get that word out tonight. Temptation. That's twice he's telling them to pray so you don't enter into what? Temptation. When Jesus repeats something, ask for us. When we're in the Word of God and you see something repeated, you need to pay attention to it. Pray so you don't enter into temptation. I will not get that word out tonight. And we need, to be, we need to be preparing ourselves because the enemy does come to steal, kill, and destroy. And there has to be that spiritual preparation because life is going to hit. I've told you all that before. Somebody's going to get sick. Somebody's going to die. Some, the car's going to break down. Mike's did that today. And you get that wonderful $1,700 bill. It kicks. <laughs> you have to be ready for it. You need to be ready for that, that spiritual preparation. So you do that with prayer. And I love that Jesus, Jesus does that, but they, just think about it. They were arguing about what? Who's the greatest? And what's going to happen with Peter? 
He's going to deny Christ. Right? And they're arguing about who's the greatest. He's going to fall into sin. What's going to happen to the disciples? They're going to scatter. On Tuesday, the, the controversies with the Jewish leaders begin. And so they're, they're... The other thing, just real quick before we stop there, there was something in that verse that really stuck out to me. In Luke chapter... Um, let me pull that back up again. Because I love... There was something in there that I highlighted. In Luke chapter 19, verse 48. Right? And so what is Jesus doing? He's teaching... And what are they doing? But they did not find anything they could do, right? So they're trying to destroy him, the chief priests and the scribes. For all the people were hanging on his words. I highlighted that. Like when you open God's word, are you hanging on his words? Are you waiting to hear from him? And then we get into Tuesday, and, and Tuesday begins the, the joy of, of dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. So Jesus has to deal with not only the attacks, but they're wanting to kill him. And they challenge him. Uh, they, they challenge him on subjects like marriage. They challenge him on heaven, paying taxes to Caesar. And then they challenge him on whose authority does he have and they're trying to trip him up every chance they get and they can't trip him up and when we get into the book of mark we'll actually go into a couple of things because you have the Olivet discourse that happens talking about end times and then we'll deal with all these parables that are going to come into this but the main thing that i want you to get from tuesday is the seven woes from the pharisees now why is this important for us as believers well it's important for us is that we shouldn't be religious God has called us to a relationship if we're religious we're no different than the Pharisees and the Sadducees when we start uh, pushing legalism and start pushing a religion on people we're, we're no different than them it says and, and you can read this in Matthew chapter 23 it says then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciple saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that, uh, observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. What is the old saying that our parents say? I'm trying to remember it because I say it all the time because the, the, the left does it all the time. Do as I say, not as I do. That's what they're doing. Right? Do as I say, not as I do. For they, they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their, of their fingers. But all their works they do be seen by men. They, they make their uh, phylacterines. I, I know I was going to mess that up. Phylacterines. There it is broad and enlarge their borders of their garments so what is that it's a uh, it's actually a, a, a leather box that they would have hanging on their their robes with scripture 
And they would have them there as, as portions of their scripture or their prayer. And they warmed just kind of, hey, we're, we're, we're carrying the word of God with us. Right? And it says, and they loved the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogues, greeting in the marketplace, and, they, and, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on, on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is on heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Uh, but he who is the greatest among you shall be your servant. So he's showing you like Christ is a servant of all. He came to serve, not be served, right, in the book of Mark. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then we go into the woes. He says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. And so what he's saying is like you condemn people from going to heaven. Why? Because he, he tells them that when he's, Weeping over Jerusalem. What happened? They missed it in prophecy. And he's pushing. The, the scribes and the Pharisees are doing what? Pushing people away from Jesus. Away from salvation. That's the first woe. And in verse 14 it says, Woe, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make longer prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. They would figure out ways to, to steal property from the widows. And, it's, and, and, it, and call it religious, or they're calling it, hey, you're doing your, this for God. And they were taken from them. And that happens today. We know that, unfortunately. And they would have these long, drawn-out prayers to, to, to push for spiritual donations. That's one thing I want to make sure we get clear here. I will not teach about a tithe, not unless it's in Scripture. And we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So if, we, if it's in the, the verse that I'm in that week, that's the only time I'm going to teach it. And see, they were doing it because they were trying to get a reaction to get more they were abusing it and this is the second woe here woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte and when he is one you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves this is very important when you're discipling someone if you're not walking with god stop discipling them Because you're doing exactly what the, the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. You're teaching them the wrong way. Because you're not living that way. It says, it's sad because you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. So if you're not walking with God, don't pull somebody next to you to try to, let me teach you how to walk with God. Because you're not doing it. Don't do it. Woe to you blind guides who, 
who say, whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple and the, that sanctifies the gold. And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and, and blind, for whichever is greater, the gift of the altar that sanctifies the gift, therefore he who swears by the altar swears by it. And by all things, he who swears by the temple swears by it, and by him him dwells in, in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God, and by him who sits on it. So the third woe actually deals with them calling. He calls them blind guides and blind fools. Why? Because they were nitpicking over oaths over what was binding and what was not binding. If you make an oath to God, <laughs> you made an oath to God. It's binding. They were finding ways to get out of it. So they didn't have to do it. And verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe on mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weighter matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done, for, uh, done without leaving the others undone, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel he's talking about them tithing and he's like they were so meticulous on making sure that it was a tenth of the mint that it was a tenth of the anise and a tenth of the cumin but they were neglecting the word of god they were neglecting god's word and that's what he's trying to get them you're, you're focused on this trivial stuff and you're neglecting your relationship with God. And that's what sometimes religious people do. They can be religious when they need to be. But then you see them later on and you're going, why are you at the bar, bro? Right? What's going on? But they can, man, when they see you at Walmart, praise God, brother. It's like, come on. You got to be, don't neglect God's word. We, we get meticulous on things. I love Micah 6.8. This is one, we, we had a, a, a pastor that taught us in, um, at Liberty University that taught this verse. The whole, the whole book was on Micah 6.8 about what it is to be a pastor. And it, it says, He who has shown you, old man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Do justly. Do the right thing. To love mercy. It means to love and, and grant mercy when mercy's not, not you go, man, you, I shouldn't be granting mercy on this. But you grant it out of love. And you walk humbly with God. And you can only do that with the Holy Spirit. That's why God has gifted you with that. If you're unsaved, that's, it, it doesn't work. You just, you just won't do it. Verse 25 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the, the outside of the cup. And the dish, but the inside, they are full of extortion 
and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees. First cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish that the outside of them may be cleansed also. Jesus, you have to remember, this is Jesus' last public preaching. Is this. On religion. On the scribes and the Pharisees. He's, he's like, everything you're doing on the outside looks clean, but on the inside is filthy. Filthy. Full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man bones and uncleanliness. Even so, you are outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. A whitewashed tomb. But you're full of things. You're unclean. Hypocrisy and wickedness. They appear to obey God, but their hearts are so far from Him. In Isaiah 29:13, it says, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and they fear towards me as taught by the commandment of men. Their hearts have been removed from me. What do you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we not have been partakers with them in the blood of prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of of, uh, of those who are murderers of the prophets. What he's saying here is he's saying, look, just like he's, they're going to do with Jesus, you kill the prophets. You, you're going to kill the Messiah. You're going to make monuments of them. And then you're going to go act like you, you care and go pray to them. And he's like, don't do it. It's arrogant. You plotted their murder. And then finally, you see here in verse 32, it says, Fill up the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? <laughs> Jesus didn't hold back. He wasn't playing around. He was trying to wake them up. There was still an opportunity, because remember, you have, you have two of the, the men, uh, Joseph, and Nicodemus, that end up coming to no faith. They were part of this group. That's why he was trying to be so bold to them and say, look, man, y'all got to get this because you're missing it. And your, your ticket is a one-way ticket to hell. You're missing it. On Wednesday, apparently, that was mostly a day of rest. But we know that uh, that's when Jesus was anointed uh, with the alabaster flask. That's in Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 16. I've got to get moving here. We're gonna... And then you also had the betrayal of Judas that was set up on Wednesday. That's also in Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give? deliver him to you and they counted out 30 pieces of silver so from that they they he sought the opportunity to betray him 
One thing to remember, 30 pieces of silver would have been how much they paid for what? A slave. That's how much you would have paid for a slave. 30 pieces of silver. In John 12, verses 4 through 8, it says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's, Simon's son, who would uh, betray him, said, Why was this fragrant? So as she is uh, anointing Jesus for what's going to happen on the, on the cross with the oil, he says, Why was this uh, fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This, he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Let me tell you something. When somebody is not walking with God, they will reveal themselves to you. They'll let you know. Stuff will start. They'll, you know, they start acting the way they normally act. And it happens. I mean, and, and, and Jesus knew Judas was always going to betray him. He always knew that. The disciples didn't. Remember, even at the, as they have in the Last Supper, they're like, who is it that's going to betray? They're all trying to figure that out. So Thursday was the preparation for the Passover. So they had the Last Supper. That was also when uh, Jesus washed the feet of the, of the disciples. And that's very important for us too. And, and one of the things you have to remember is what does Jesus do? And at the supper being, being ended, this is in John chapter 13 and verse 3. And at the supper being ended, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. The devil. Come, steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God... Uh, was, uh, was, going, uh, was going to God, rose from the supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. And so now he's going to begin to wash the feet of the disciples. But Peter, being Peter, then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, why are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You'll never wash my feet. This is the same Peter. This is why I love Jesus. This is the same Peter that sins and denies Christ three times. The same Peter that says, you'll never wash my feet. The same Peter that falls asleep when he was supposed to be praying and yet Jesus loves him. He knows you're going to fall. He knows you're going to stumble. But he loves you. I always tell people, man, when it's like... We're, we're, we're moving towards holiness. We're, we're, not, we're not perfectionists. We're not sinless. That was Jesus. You're going to make mistakes. That's why you keep a short sin list. If you, if you mess up, you need to confess it. Repent. And Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if, you do not if I don't, do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, and this is why I love Peter, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus is showing them that you're called to be a servant. It's a beautiful piece of scripture in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 30. If you're ever wanting to know what it means to disciple somebody, read those verses. 
And remember, he's washing whose feet? Judas Iscariot. The enemy. That's, that's one to wrap your head around when you think about it. We also know this is where communion comes during the Last Supper in Matthew chapter 26, verses 30. As, as he's breaking bread. And this is why we have communion. And it's, it's, communion is one of the things I love about communion. It's, it's a reminder to us of what Jesus Christ has done for each one of us. That he saved you. That he loved you. It's an opportunity for us to, to, to not only deal with our stuff for that month. That's why we do communion. We'll be doing communion Sunday. And, and the reason why we do that is an opportunity for us to, to, to pray and get, get with God and to thank Him for saving us, but also to deal with our stuff. That's why we do it every month. It's a reminder that, that God wants to hear from you, so what? You, you pray so you don't enter into what? Temptation. You take communion to remember what Christ did for you on the cross. And then we deal with the, uh, this is where the, the Olivet Discourse begins, and, and we'll get into all that when we get into the book of Mark. We also have the prayer in, in uh, Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, and then we have the betrayal and the arrest that happens as well. And then you also have where Peter decides, this is another thing Peter did, he cut off Malchus's ear with a little knife. He said sword, but it was a little knife, probably a fishing knife. And Jesus puts the ear. And then we get into Friday. And Friday is a very busy day because you have, you have five trials that happen. And it's funny because they broke the law just to have the trial. The Jews broke the law to have the trial. They went against what they do just so they could have the trial done. And not only did they do that, but you have, you have on Friday, you have Peter's denial you have the trial where Jesus goes before Caiaphas. And then Peter's second denial happens. And then you also have the trial before the Sanhedrin. You have Peter's third denial when the rooster crows. And then you have uh, the trial before Pilate. And Pilate finds him not guilty. He can't find anything to, to try him on. And so he sends him to Herod. Herod can't find anything. So they send him back to Pilate. Judas Iscariot commits suicide. That's the difference between, if anybody ever asks you the difference between condemnation and conviction, condemnation is what Judas, he killed himself. Conviction is Peter. You know, that's the, the two parallels that happen there. And then you have uh, Pilate declares Jesus innocent. And then... Pilate is not wanting to, to do this, but Pilate is like, uh, it's a normal tradition for us to, to, to release somebody, and he brings out the worst person, Barabbas, who committed murder. And it's like, you can free Jesus or you can free Barabbas, and what do they do? They pick Barabbas. And next thing you know, they're screaming out, crucify him, crucify him. And then what does Pilate? Pilate washes his hands of it. Pilate was afraid to upset the balance with the Jews and the Romans. 
and get in trouble with the Roman Empire. And so Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified. Now, your homework assignment, because everybody's got glassy eyes. We're going to finish up here. This is, I know when I used to teach school of ministry, when everybody's like, I'm done. Check me out. I'm, I'm finished. Read Matthew chapter 27. Now, Miss Elva said that it's hard for her to watch Passion of the Christ. That's okay. I get that. Do you know they made a Lego one? Yeah, there's a Lego one. So if you want to watch one with your kids, they have one that's Lego. They also have the book of Genesis in Lego on Pure Flix. You can do a week for free. I should be getting a commission for this. But <laughs> you can do a week for free <laughs> and check some of that stuff out. They have Passion of the Christ on there, and they also have The Chosen and some other stuff. So if you don't watch Passion of the Christ, I understand it is very, it's tough. It, it brings me to tears every time I watch it. Uh, then watch something else. You know, you can watch The Chosen or something. You know, just get you ready for Sunday when you come in. But read if you can. At least read or listen to Matthew chapter 27. I always tell people because I know some people feel like for me, I have, to, I have to listen to it first and then read it and then I get it. It's just the way I learned. Um, and so if, if you listen to the Word of God, I'm cool with that. I just want you in the Word of God. And, and just spend time with, with Christ on Friday. And, and just kind of remember what the Lord did for each one of us on the cross. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.